be your, your home this morning here. All right. Okay, so listen real quick, because I only have one second. We've set this up. All right. Is Anson out of here? Okay. Next Sunday afternoon at uh, 5 o'clock, we're inviting the whole church to my house for a surprise birthday, 40th birthday party for our assistant pastor, Leslie Lau. Now, we've snuck her down the hall here for a made-up reason, just so she wouldn't hear this. Um, But 5 o'clock. At 5.30, our regular small group time, she thinks she's coming to my small group. It'll be a surprise birthday party on that night. Now, park across the street in the gravel parking lot at the Korean church there. It's right down the road. If you get on stagecoach that you came in, just go on that on the other side of Friendly. First gravel lot, that's your lot. Just park there. Now, if you can't be there at 5 o'clock because you're challenged to be on time, come at 5.45. Don't come at 5.30. All right? I will have my boys tackle you as you're coming in across the yard. So, all right? Sound good? Yeah? All right, let's knock it out of the park. So, and we're just asking if everybody could bring a little finger fruit, something like that. Be good. Yeah. So, it is a secret. So, don't say anything. I will have my boys tackle you if you say anything. Okay? All right. We're pretty good. She'll be back here in just a minute. It was great. Hey, all kinds of challenges this morning just to get to this point. Um, it, was, it was a little crazy getting late, starting up, and uh, then we, we didn't have a janitor here this morning, so figuring out how to get in and get to our places and all that kind of stuff was a little difficult. Um, obviously, our computer still has not showed up. Um, at least the functioning side of it hasn't showed up, but, uh, you know, it is what it is. So we'll, we'll just jump into it this morning, and for the next few minutes, uh, I want to share with you and um, ever so often, I've shared a topic that is just so significant to us that I've told you and I've asked for your, your leeway a little bit, really, to let me almost read it to you in a way. And you know, that's not my normal style with you to just read sermons. So I'm going to stay very close to script this morning as I work through this. If you didn't get in here and get a sermon note, uh, raise your hand because it's not going to be on the screen. So you're going to need this this morning. Just lift it up. Richard's got them in his hand. He'll bring them around and you can at least follow along with what is in the sermon notes. It gives you the general outline for that. Um, Two and a half years ago, we began a process as a board, and then very soon after that as a church, where we started to talk about a permanent home for Wendover Hills. Where we were meeting in the warehouse was uh, twofold. It was getting to be too small, especially in our kids' ministry area, uh, and it was getting to be too expensive as the, the lease was continuing to rise. And we felt like it was in the best interest of our church to own our own property where we could make our, our own decisions about ministry and what the Lord would have us do with our property um, and to be able to do something that was designed and set up for what we do and how we function as a church. I'm going to be honest with you. When we started that process, I thought that process would be somewhere in the four to six month range, and then we would be coming to you talking about where we're moving. Um, but we're two and a half years later, um, and I would say the biggest part of that is, is that we have criteria, and we don't want to come off the criteria because we don't want to mess up financially, we don't want to mess up location-wise, and we, just, we don't want to get ahead of what God wants us to do. That's kind of where we're headed in all this. But before we get to that, because I know that's what's itching your heart to talk about and to, to get, especially with the email that you received this week, 
Um, I want to share with you a few words before we get that far. One of the greatest experiences of my life, it was the privilege of being part of a miracle, uh, really my senior year of high school, when my atheist Burger King manager gave her heart to Christ. It was two years of small conversations, and then one evening she came up to me and she said, I'm ready to become a Christian. And we went back in the little break room, which is basically one stand of lockers and a chair, and you know you could somewhat turn around in there. And we sat and we prayed for her to receive Jesus Christ. I mean, get this, she was 21 years old and didn't believe there was a God at all. And she went out of Burger King one night, having prayed with a little immature 17-year-old kid who was on her crew, and she said yes to Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. It was a miracle in her life for the people at Burger King to hear her talk differently about what she viewed about God. So we're going to talk about another miracle today, and and we're going to talk about it just the same way that God can transform and do the impossible. It's one of the most famous miracles of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's so famous that it's the only miracle that shows up in all the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's in all four of them. It's that significant. It's this feeding of the 5,000. You familiar with it? No? Yeah, I thought so. Really, there's probably far more than 5,000. In general, they counted the men in the total and in the number. Sorry, that's just how they did it. Um, And so there was probably far more than 5,000 actually in attendance that day, if you count kids, women, whoever else was there. And we get this story that Jesus took this little boy's lunch and he was able to feed all the people. Makes no sense. Irrational. It's it's a miracle uh, for sure. And the most incredible thing about it is it was widely known, seen by all, and recorded in all the Gospels. Significant, significant story in Jesus' time. Now, he didn't just do this miracle to show off, um, but he really does miracles to teach principles, or we can bring out of his miracles these key principles. And in this miracle, we really have the story, we have the principles of how in your life and my life, the life of a church, to prepare for a miracle. Have you ever thought about it that way? That's really what Jesus is teaching in this story. Now, someday, you're going to need one, right? Uh, It may be this week. You're going to need a relational miracle or a financial miracle. You might need a job-related miracle this week. And so this story is going to teach us about this. In fact, there's four key things I want to bring out, and that's just to help put it in outline form, but I encourage you, read it and let it flow more as a story than how I'm breaking it down in outline, and you can do that on your own uh, uh, tonight would be great. Here's how it starts. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. This is Mark chapter 6 where we're pulling this out of. But like I said, it shows up in all four. So we've got this problem here. Very large, large crowd, right? And they become hungry. It's late in the day. They're in the middle of the desert to hear Jesus teach. And as this day wears on, there's no McDonald's or strip mall in sight to have food. This becomes the issue at hand. When we have a problem and you need a miracle, there's things that we need to do that show up in this story. Here's the first of them. It's on your outline this morning. I've got to admit that I have a need. 
You ever thought about that? You've got to admit that you have a need. That's your starting point when miracles happen, is to say, I have a need. To admit to God, to say, God, I am in need of you. I need you as my Lord and Savior. Now, here's what we usually do. We go about it, I do my own thing, I do my own thing, I'm pretty cool, I'm wise, I know what to do, I know what to do, boom, big fat mess, right? Oh, God, please help. Please pull me out of the depths of of my decisions. But God says, come to me all the time with your needs. Just come with anything you need at any point. That is your starting point. You come to me. He says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given. You familiar with that verse? Well, did you know that 21 times we find in the New Testament that we're commanded to ask, to ask. That's what God wants us to do, to come to him and say, Lord, I've got a major need in my life, and we have to ask God for it. Now, we don't always do this. In fact, I think if we looked at it the way we sometimes do, we have um, these three kind of, I don't call them self-defeating principles or behaviors uh, when, it, when it comes. We tend to do one of three things, or maybe all three. We procrastinate, we pass the buck, or we just flat out worry. Do any of those things? Does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, sure. Uh, the disciples did some of this. They, first, they procrastinated. They put off dealing with the problem. They delayed it to later in the day. It says this, at, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him. Anybody could have figured that these people were going to be hungry at some point in the day. And they waited till late in the afternoon to say, hey, we didn't really ask him to come. So it's not really our problem. Um, let's send them away and let's, let's have them go take care of themselves. It was a late in the day decision. Or they uh, passed the buck. We see this happens. We blame other people sometimes. We say it's not my fault. It's their fault. It's somebody else's fault. It's society's fault. But uh, it's just circumstantial. I didn't have anything to do with it. They say here, send the crowds away. In other words, they're saying this, out of sight, out of mind. It's not my problem. I don't, I don't need to deal with this issue. They can take care of themselves, just send them out and fend for themselves. God, what would happen if I gave to them? I mean, what would I be doing if I just gave? What would I be teaching them? Send them away to take care of themselves. And on and on. They just kind of put it off for someone else there. I think sometimes we do that with our own problems. It's not my fault. Somebody else's fault. It's society's fault. It's my environment's fault. It's my parents' fault. If they had paid me that $5 when I hit that home run in Little League, I might be a different person today. But... They screwed me up bad, so that's not really my story. The $5 part is, and I'm chill, still trying to get it, but uh, the rest is, is okay. Or finally, we would just flat out worry about our problems, probably most common. We just worry. We worry. We lay in bed at night, and we think, how in the world? How am I going to deal with this? How are we going to find victory in this? How, 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 how? And yet, we never just turn to God and give him our need is what he's calling us to do. Notice what the disciples did. They, they said, imagine the expense. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money is what they said. They did a little cost analysis and it did not compute when they started to put the figures together. All this crowd, I mean, how in the world are we going to be able to pay for that? How will we keep the food warm? And what are the logistics to moving the food around and serving and all those kind of things? We don't even have a big enough data plan to coordinate all these people and, and the logistics that come into play. They just said, we, you know, we can't, we can't do this. They had forgotten one thing that we often forgot. They were standing in the midst of Jesus Christ. They had already seen him do miracles. They'd already seen him take care of problems and situations before. 
and they're waiting for, for something else to happen, whereas they have Jesus Christ who could turn stones to bread right in front of them. So the first thing we have to do is we, we just have to admit we have a need. God, I have a need. You're greater than I, so I'm coming to you with our need. As a church, when we're looking for a future home in a permanent location, we just flat out confess, God, we have a need. This is a great setup. It's been a great relationship with the principal here. It's a great relationship setting up. We didn't have a janitor this morning. And look, we're in. We're set up. We have everything but stuff on a screen this morning. <laughs> we admit we have a need. And behold, <laughs> I didn't really admit I had a need, did I? I just complained about it. So I'm not sure how that works into my sermon. But we have a need. And we've been saying to God for two and a half years now, Lord, we have a need for a permanent location for Wendover Hills Church. Second thing we have to do is we assess what we already have. This is so, so crucial. We love to start at the place where we just say, Lord, I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing to offer. And God said, you got a little bit. You got a little bit. Are you willing to hold it out? Are you willing to give it to me? And then let's go from there. We have to assess what we already have. Look at what the scripture says. How much, how much bread do you have there, he asked. Well, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Why did Jesus do this? I mean, he's God, right? Couldn't he not have rained manna from heaven if he so wanted to in this situation? Sure, I mean, he could have just plopped the bread right down in front of him. He didn't need to use his disciples. He didn't need to use a little boy's loaves and breads. But that's the way he chooses to work here. Why? Because he chooses to teach us that he wants to do a miracle in your life, but you've got to first start and assess, what do you have to offer? What do you have that you can say, here, I give this all to you, Lord? Do you remember in the Old Testament, Cain and Abel? Do you remember when they came and they brought offering to God? Why was one accepted and one not? Because one, one was the first, and the other was some, some leftover. It's as if he, they came to say, look, this is what I have. I'll come and I'll, I'll give you my best. And I don't know if what he brought as his best was like the best ever that anyone could have had, but it was the best Abel had to offer. That's what he brought, and it was accepted. Cain's wasn't, and it was rejected. You know what we're being taught here is assess what you have. When you come and you say, this is what I have to give, this is the best I have to offer, God will take it and he'll receive it. I mean, think about it. There's 5,000 people here, and they bring him. I mean, they, he goes out, and they actually find these loaves and fish, and that Jesus is, shouldn't Jesus go like, what's the matter with you guys? What do you think, what am I going to do with that? But he doesn't do that. He takes that what's given. I would imagine somebody out there brought a better lunch with them. Some responsible adult brought something better and bigger than this little kid brought with him that day, right? I don't know why they didn't choose the other lunches, but this boy certainly was willing to say, this is what I have, and it's yours. Take it. And it gave what they already had. Here's what we do a lot. We look at everything in our life we look at our bills, we, we look at our time, our schedule, our kids' activity, we look at everything, and we say, I'm going to do all of this, and then if I have anything over here, I'll get it to God, because that's all I have to offer. And God's looking at all this. He's saying, I'm looking at your finances, 
I'm looking at your time. I'm looking at your decisions. I'm looking at all this, and I'm saying, how about I get a chunk of that? Why don't you start in that area? Why don't we look at that as your best? That's really what this little boy did. It wasn't that he, he brought, you know, just a truckload of food, and he said, hey, you can have this bit. He gave him what he had, and it was all. Now, when the disciples, they, they turned to, to Jesus, and, and they said, here's the problem. This is what Jesus said. He said, you feed them. You feed them. Jesus, in a way, is saying, at the outset, this is not my problem. I'm going to see what you're willing to do. I'm going to see what you're willing to hand forward. And we find that out of this, we see this incredible miracle happen from just this small gift to say, this is what I have, and I'll give it to you. It says uh, um, in John 6, 6, this is what Jesus says, same story. He was testing Philip, one of the disciples, for he already knew what he was going to do. So in this, the scripture is telling us, Jesus already knew he was going to do a miracle. He already knew that he was going to feed all these people. So why would he choose to take this boy's bread and do it this way? Well, I don't know why he choose, chose the boy. I don't know why the, the, the numbers of loaves and fishes was any significant, so I've heard some biblical scholars try to say. But I know this. God wanted to prove a point. Jesus wanted to teach a principle that we have to say, this is what small I have, I give it to you. And then the second thing, uh, the third thing here that we're talking about flows right into it. We give God whatever I have. And that's the third step for a miracle is that we just, we give. When I say, this is what I have to offer, I hand it over to Christ and give it to him. Say, this is yours. This is what you supplied me with to begin with, and I give it back to you full tilt. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where the faith is really tested here, when we're actually ready to give and to hand over and trust Christ with what we have. Why? Because if I'm looking at it from a financial or a time or resource perspective, and I feel like I only have this much, and I give away a portion of this much, that gets pretty scary. How do I function the rest of the way? I mean, how do I take care of braces for my kids? How do I um, fit in all the activities that I have? You know, how, how do I do these type of things? And God is just saying, look, first, before we get to that question, you got to just give and just get rid of it and trust me from that point. Here's what it says in Mark 6, 4. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up to heaven and blessed it. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. Look, I don't know how Jesus did it. I don't know if like as he broke a piece of bread, you know, like they could just see it become a loaf again. I'm not sure how he did it. But what I know is he broke and it just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. And I don't think it was like Jesus put a black screen up like a, music, uh, a magician and did it behind it. And, you know, where they could. It was right there for everyone to see. And this miracle happened. And God multiplied it from this small amount given. What's the principle there? How would you and I expect God to multiply anything in our life before we're able to give him this small amount that we have to give? How do we expect that? I mean, think, think about it. When you plant something in the ground, do you expect 
for it to grow up, a, a vegetable fruit, and just give you the one item. You put, you put an apple tree, you nurture it for years and years, and you expect it to give you one apple from that seed? No, you get a whole, you get a whole tree of apples. And then they're falling down all over the place. You know, you're calling people in the church saying, please take apples, and, you know, because it is being multiplied and multiplied from the small seed. And that's the principle he's talking about here. This third principle, just God will use whatever you give him, and from there, he'll take it. Here's what we find in Scripture when it comes to this issue here, and it's interesting because it's found in Matthew chapter 6, and it's not far from this story. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is as well. Where your treasure is, your heart is. Meaning that whatever you think is so valuable to your life, that's where your passion is as well. That's, what, that's where your passion is. And so if I were to say, look, my passion is following Jesus Christ, number one, as my Lord and Savior, then that's exactly where our heart's going to be. That's where our passion's going to be. That's where we're going to be driven to do. And so we follow his principles when he speaks about things like this. Here's what it says, the fourth one. Um, I expect him to multiply it. This is the fun part of this whole thing, is that when I give, I expect God to multiply it from that point. And you know what? You are allowed, biblically, to expect God to multiply when you sacrificially give to him. Well, no matter what it is you're sacrificing, you can expect God to multiply it from that point. We find it in the story. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up the 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. I mean, they came with nothing, and they had like Golden Corral, you know, style buffet here. It just went on and on and on. They all ate all they wanted. And think about this little boy. He goes down with a little bit of bread and fish. And I don't know if he actually went home with the 12 baskets, but let's say this kid rolled back in with 12 baskets. And he said, here you go, mom. And then told her the story of Jesus doing this. I hope she would be kind of a a spiritual-minded mom because otherwise she was going to think, you know, something was being passed around at the concert. Um, There was something bad going on up there. You're not going there again, little Johnny. That's the story. I mean, it's a crazy, crazy story of God multiplying this. It's an amazing story here that God would do this all with a little boy's faith, starting by sending out the disciples There's a principle, and it comes from Scripture, though the world is like to hijack it and kind of describe it their own way. And the principle is this, coming from Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, a man reaps what he sows. You reap what you sow. That means if you give away criticism, you're going to get criticism back. If you give away encouragement, you're going to get encouragement back. If you give your time to help others, you're going to find you have more time uh, than, than you'd have if you save time all to yourself. Money, reputation, anything, this principle seems to play out in our life that we get back what we want to give out. It, it's amazing sometimes that the most selfish people are also the most miserable people in life. Whether they never give because they just hate it and they want to hang on to everything, or whether they just give out of begrudgingly um, obligation, they're bitter. And, they're, and, and what they're giving is what they're reaping. That's how, that's how God set it up. Why? Because God at his core was a giver. God so loved the world that he gave, the most precious thing he gave. Did you play with your kids in the snow this week when you were home? 
Many of you probably did. If you had kids, grandkids, you ran out and played around with them. Think about the preciousness of those kids that you were playing with, that you posted your Facebook pictures and videos and all that kind of stuff from, that God gave his away for us. At the core of God's heart is giving. And then he multiplied. And we are part of the multiplication of when he gave his son, the multiplication of his disciples and his followers. We are that. Jackson became that today. We celebrated that. That is what happened. We are part of God's multiplication through giving of his son of Jesus Christ. Mark 10, 27 says this, everything is possible with God. Meaning that, does it make any sense that if I give, God will multiply it? Probably not in our terms. But the Bible says it's still possible. So the story of feeding 5,000, it's very appropriate to us at Wendover Hills at this time. We live in this city of 250,000 people. Did you know it was about that much? I mean, go outside of the city, High Point, Kernersville, and, and uh, go outside of that, Winston, and you get a much, much bigger number. But 250,000, and they're spiritually hungry people out there. Even though we're in the South and we're in the quote-unquote Bible Belt, it is a spiritually hungry society which we live and really everyone in our country lives and literally every week hundreds of them cross our paths your path and my path every single week and they are crying out in some way shape or form they they are just crying out saying feed me feed me spiritually teach me something and we look at them and we say but lord how will i possibly do this and you know what god says to us when he looks at us as, as a church and a body of believers, he says, you feed them. You feed them. You go out and do it. You go out and put into practice, put into use the things that I gave you. You go out and use your time. You go use your talents. You go use what I've designed you for. You go use your money. You go use it to feed them and to reach these spiritually hungry people all over our city. So how do we do this? Well, I think we need a miracle. We, we need a miracle just like we, we saw in this story today. We need a first excess. We have a need. We talked about that. We feel like we need a permanent home to continue our ministry and expand our ministries and be able to make our own choices in many as, aspects about the ministry that we're able to do. That's a need. And God's also saying, you've got to assess what you have already. Look, we've got 170 people on a normal Sunday that are here. We have 170 people that are gifted and talented, that have time and energy, that have resources, that have finances. We have that kind of group already. We've assessed our need. They're here. You're here. I'm here right now. And this third question we come to that we ask, just like in the story, is what are you willing to give? What are you willing to hand out now to God? Before we ask God, do the miracle, God, supply the building, land, whatever else, we ask ourselves, what are we willing to give? What are we willing to stick our neck out and say, look, this isn't just a truckload and I'll give you a few fish and loaves out of it. This is it, Lord. The whole lunch I brought, you get it. Go do something with it. That boy didn't have a clue in the world Jesus was going to do what he did with his small lunch. It's an important time. In fact, in the days ahead, our church family, w w this is what we need, a miracle. And this is what I'm preparing us for this morning. 
And in the rest of this, it'll sound a little weird because I want to put it in proposing terms. This is what I'm putting before you. This is what the board, the staff, myself has been processing through, and we're putting it before you. In a few minutes, we're going to actually break. We're going to let you get your kids um, so our teachers and everybody can come down here. Then we'll do more business-style meeting on that, and we'll talk in question-answer form. But what I'm proposing is that starting April 12th, that we launch a five-week series and a campaign that we call Building for Life. And prior to that, the leaders of the church would meet and they would unpack the details of this building for life. It's already really gone on on the board level. But since it's going to involve all of us, I want to quickly go down these, these five things that would happen in this 40-day period uh, that we would walk through in this five-week thing. Look, if you're a visitor with, with us this morning, in your eyes, you either picked a bad week to come or like you picked an awesome week to come to hear all about it. I'm, I'm not quite sure. Um, but uh, I hope you'll come back next week and, uh, uh, as we kick off this new series that Anson talked about, The God I Wish You Knew. Um, but I need a couple minutes to talk to our church family here. Um, and if you've been bouncing around from churches and your church looking, um, I can tell you what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about being on board what God is doing and being active with what God is doing and, and asking God, what do you want of me to make this happen now? So if you're wanting to be kind of a part of a church that is driven to action, this is a good season for you to plug into our church if you're new with us here today. So, but I'm going to take a couple minutes, and I, I think this is a historical hinge point for our church. I'm proposing that we launch this 40-day event we're calling the, the Building for Life campaign, and within this there's really five purposes. So if you want to walk through this, it's in your notes this morning, but I'll share it in a little more detail as I'm reading, so if you want to write more, you may. We want to help us grow spiritually mature. The number one goal in this is that we are spiritually mature. Spiritually mature people are passionate about reaching others for Jesus Christ. Spiritually mature people are not doing five Bible studies a week and creating more of a holy huddle type of, of, of image and not reaching their friends. Spiritually mature people are passionate about reaching people for Jesus Christ. And so we want to be spiritually mature. That's the passion of our heart, to grow spiritually. I am far more interested in spiritual growth than I'm interested in buildings. Now, some of you are like, yeah, we, we've seen. We're still in a school. Uh, I, I just, I'm not all that excited about buildings and building projects and capital campaigns and all that kind of stuff. I am passionate about reaching people for Jesus Christ. I'm passionate about going to the grocery store. And if a conversation opened up like it did last Sunday after church for Malal, is his name, from Senegal, perfect timing after we had our international potluck. I was all energized about West Africa and the dish that I made. Um, that's, thank you for finishing my crock pot. That, I was riding on high for that. You could have dumped it in the bushes for all I know, but it was, uh, yeah, did you? Okay. Then I go down and I meet Malal from Senegal. And I, I mean, I'm passionate about talking to him and inviting him. I invited him to come this morning, even though I knew we'd be talking about this kind of stuff, um, far more than buildings. But this is an important time in the life of our church, to be looking in this direction, but it's to grow spiritually mature. So instead of just launching a capital campaign where we're thinking we're focusing entirely on money, we got to focus on spiritual growth. Spiritual growth takes care of a lot of things when it comes to finances and tithes and offerings and all that kind of stuff. We want to focus on that. So starting April 12th, I want to launch this series, The Building Blocks of Greatness in Our Lives, a spiritual maturity focus, four-week series that we'll walk through that'll just go along 
with this 40 days that I talked about. And during this time, we're actually going to take our, our neighborhood groups. And I'm going to challenge everybody here. And if we have to just reshuffle and do a lot of things new, we'll do it that month. That's fine. But I want to challenge everybody to look at going to a, a neighborhood group for four straight weeks. So I know many of our groups every other week. For four weeks, I'm going to challenge the whole congregation to go every single week, and you'll walk through in a small group format. You'll walk through being able to talk and process through these type of things that we're talking about on Sunday morning as it comes to spiritual maturity and this whole process of building for life. During that time, we're going to challenge each other with spiritual memory verses. It's not just for your kids down the hall. It's for us as adults. And so every week as a congregation, during that period, we're going to memorize a verse together as a church, ones that will challenge us, that will give testimony to God on what he does and what, how we put our faith in him. During that 40 days, we're going to challenge the whole congregation to read through the entire New Testament of God's scripture during those 40 days. I mean, most of us wouldn't think anything about reading a novel through in an afternoon. And to think about the New Testament actually has less words than the Sunday edition of the LA Times. Not that you take that paper, but um, that's a, that means you can do this. You can sit and read that. And some of you, you might have, have never thought about reading it all the way through in that period of time. God's going to impact our life and our maturity by reading through that. So we're going to challenge each other to become mature in our giving as well during that time. We're going to talk about that on Sunday mornings. It won't be the, the whole sermons, but we're going to talk about that. Mature giving. What does it look like? Why? Why does God even set up this system? Manna from heaven? Why doesn't he rain down dollar bills from heaven? You know, um, That would be easier, it seems like. We're going to talk about that during the series. Here's what 2 Corinthians 8, 4 say, or 8 7 says. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speaking, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for others, a lot of that sounds like us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. Some powerful words, but we're going to focus on that as well. Our goal at Windover Hills is to become a, a church full of spiritually mature followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we want to see. So wherever you're at spiritually right now, our goal in that series is to let everything we do in God's word and God's impact ramp up our spiritual fervor for him during that time. Here's number two. Our purpose is to deepen our fellowship as a church family. It's to deepen our fellowship. When I came and I visited Wendover Hills for the first time, I thought, that's a family I want to be a part of. I just loved it. I loved the way you guys cared for each other, how you treated each other, how you got to know one another. And I wanted to be a part of that. And that's why we moved from Chicago and from the snow to, but it was mainly you were the reason, uh, and down to here to be a part of this. In fact, the Bible even says in First Peter, open your homes to one another. You should be like one big happy family. He's talking about the church when he's talking about this. So part of this event, we're going to do something we've never done before. I don't think so, not in my time. Starting the week of April 6th, that's like right after Easter, all right? And following, we're going to have part of, part of the church family, a large group of the church family, who are actually going to go visit everyone else in the church family. So like if you're part of this believers, body of believers, you're all going to be visited and, and have fellowship with somebody during that time. And their goal of that is to come and to pray with you on anything that you need prayer for. 
to hear anything that's going on in your heart and life, any challenges that you just need, need help or prayer in. They're going to bring you some of the materials that I just talked about. The, uh, they're going to bring you a, a devotional package for you to work through as your family every single day during that 40-day, that five-week period to work through exactly what we're working through uh, as a family. They're going to come and ask you a few questions, too, about the church and your church involvement and, and what, what thoughts you have had and what suggestions you had as well. And they're going to listen and they're going to pray with you as well. And they're going to hand you a material that talks about everything we're doing from the capital campaign and financial side, though it won't be their job to do any fundraising that night. That's not what they're coming to your house for. But they're going to get all the information in your hand as well. So when they come to you, this smaller group that will visit the rest of you, you be nice to them, okay? Treat them well. Cook them a meal. Enjoy your time with them. And now you might think, hey, Tom, um, could you send so-and-so over to my house? Why? Because you already know them real well? That would probably be an automatic no. Um, our goal is to get to know one another. Because even in a group this small and this intimate, you're looking at each other, it would be easy to come in, spend time together for an hour, hour and a half, and go home and not connect really with anyone. And so our goal during this series, one of our purposes, to really to really deepen our fellowship and connection with one another. Can I tell you about connection and fellowship? Wednesday night with the men's group, snow coming, four to eight inches, whatever we ended up getting, um, we had the largest group of men that we've had on Wednesday night in our men's prayer series. It's not often you just say, hey, men, we're having a night of prayer and men just come. But that's what we had when we had our highest number that came. And for the final, it was supposed to be 15 minutes. It went... I don't know how much, much longer than that. We put every guy in a chair like this right here and we laid hands and whatever they had written on their little card, I announced it and the first person that, that just, their heart was moved, they prayed for that man and it went around and around and on and on and guys got prayed for. Some guys, some guys even wept though, though I will not call you out, men, in front of this because it was okay. So, yeah. Oh yeah, we'll put it up on Facebook. Yeah. Not the crying part. Those guys came out deepened in their fellowship. They weren't in just enjoying a ball game together or watching something together. They were doing life on life and praying for one another. And we want to deepen that during this series. Third, we want to help everyone find their place in ministry. Everyone, we want to help you find your spot and your place in ministry. We only have so many ministries here at the church, but there's plenty of ministries outside this door. A few weeks ago, I had the opportunity to go up and and speak at Teen Challenge here in Greensboro. And uh, I, I knew it was going on. I knew the Boer family and the Hester family it was deep on their heart. But it was amazing. That's a powerful, powerful ministry that's going on. And one time Brian had come to me and we were talking about time schedule. And I was like, man, Brian, um, I won't tell you what to do, but I wouldn't step off that one at all um, because of what God was doing in that ministry powerful ministry. So there's lots of things outside the church. We want to help you plug into your area of ministry. I can guarantee for most people, if they come to church, Wendover Hill's no exception, and in about two years, if you haven't plugged into ministry, you will just cycle out of here and you'll move on to another church because there's something about serving that helps us. And so we're going to do something. On April 26th, uh, we're going to have about a 40-minute service. We're going to crank through it. We're going to sing the songs real fast. Um, I'm going to preach real fast maybe, and then we're just going to have this back area 
just totally highlight every ministry that's going on at this church, everything that's happening uh, from the church. There's lots of stuff that you, don't, you probably don't even know about because one person is really running the show and heading it up. We're just going to highlight everything in ministry that's going on here, and we're going to have a section where we highlight things that you do outside of this church that might be areas for people to plug in as well into ministry. And so our goal that morning is for you to be able to walk, look, see what's going on, and whatever God puts on your heart, walk away plugged in in ministry somewhere. Here's what Colossians 4.17 says, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. He's given us ministry, so we're going to focus on it during this, this period of time and plug in on a deeper level. Number four, proposed plan we're walking through here is on May 2nd, uh, oh, excuse me, we want to worship God by celebrating a banquet together, a Thanksgiving time together where we thank God for what he has done in the life of this church. This church has been around for about 15 years now, a little over 14 years this church has been around, and there's been some high great times, there's been some rough times. We look back in the last few years and we know God is working and building and growing us. And so we want to celebrate those type of things together. We also want to celebrate what is he doing right now. And so I'm proposing on on May 2nd that we'll do a banquet together. It'll be at the end of this Time for Greatness series, this Time to Build campaign. It'll be at the end of that. And at that banquet, we will just celebrate what God has done. I want to hear about your spiritual maturity during the series on that. I want to hear your testimonies. I want to hear about how God helped you plug into ministry. I want to hear about the connection you had with a family and how they're praying for you in fellowship that wasn't there before. And we're also going to, together, we're going to hear some testimonies from people who said, you know, God has played on my heart to financially give in this area towards where we're headed as well. And so that'll be on May 2nd, a Saturday night. Now, this would be a, a proposing a, a nice banquet, like where we get like dressed up a little bit. Like I'll wear a coat and maybe even a tie. Um, I might even comb my hair that night. So that, I mean, we're talking about that kind of banquet that we'll have that night um, is what we're talking about. Finally, in a key challenge in this campaign, it's the challenge for us to build our campus, to build our building at the location on Windover Avenue. Second Corinthians 8, 5 says this, they even did more than they had hoped for their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us just as God wanted them to do. That's what I'm calling us to. Give ourselves fully, fully to God and then let God bless us even more and then what we think we could do on our own. And so here, this is, I believe, at Wendover Hills, I mean, we really are a church driven with purpose. It means everything we do, it's based on this mission and purpose you've heard me say before, helping one more person find their way back to God. That is our focus. And the growth of this church and the health of this church, it's really been built around our desire to balance discipleship for the Christian and evangelism to the lost. And we just believe those two things go hand in hand. And we've been very successful in those purposes at the warehouse over on Swing Road. Um, Can I tell you when I first drove up, I flew in to Raleigh and I drove up, I got off on Wendover and um, we made our way and we came around the corner, we were here to interview, you know. And we said, oh, okay, that's, that's your church. That's, that's the building. Okay. So, but when we came in and we met you and we saw what God was already doing, that, oh, that's, that's the building. It faded so fast. 
God blessed in that warehouse. He blessed on Swing Road. He's blessed us in the school now. He shaped us. He molded us. The connection we have with the setup team and the interaction and the relationships, they didn't quite exist on that level. Um, so I also wasn't fussed as much by Leslie Lau um, before. But now that we're setting up together, you know, no, put that there. Put that there. It's just, just what I have to deal with. So what I have to, that wasn't in the notes. So... But now we believe that we need a place for these two purposes we talked about to flourish. And we're proposing that we build a permanent ministry building, a permanent place of worship, a place that will function as a church where everything God wants us to do now, or that we're doing now, can be housed, and everything God wants us to do can be the center place to send us out to do it. And we desire to build this in this building, a worship center, an area of fellowship, all of our teaching classes, our offices so staff can plan and, uh, and see this, this path that God is developed to actually getting to this place. That's what we're proposing here this morning on the building side of it. I sent you plans on what we propose and what we're currently looking at in that. We'll talk about that more on the business side in a few minutes. Did you know that we always benefit from the sacrifice of others? Always. That's what this story is about. This little boy sacrifices lunch, and as a result, 20,000 people maybe were blessed, and they fed, and they were eaten. You've probably benefited from your entire life by somebody else sacrificing. Your parents sacrificed for you. Your teachers sacrificed for you. There's soldiers that gave their life on battlefield to keep uh, this free so that we can freely worship the way we do. I mean, we sit here today, and we worship because really, people have spilt their blood. They've given their time. They've paid the finances for us to be able to do things like that. We always benefit from the sacrifice of others. Now it's our turn. It's our turn to sacrifice so that others will benefit. When we look at building a permanent ministry center, we don't think about building a building that we will go into and we will enjoy and we will minister at. We think about the people that will come after us. And then after them, and after them, and after them. And as long as a building can stay on that site and not disintegrate away, we expect there to be ministry and people reached. If you expect every area on Wendover Avenue that currently is open land to see one day there will be businesses or houses or apartment complex, people there who are moving in and taking up residence right in that stretch who need to know Jesus Christ, we expect a permanent ministry home to be there to impact and to reach those people. And so it's our turn to sacrifice. Four years ago, there was some talk about closing the doors of Wendover Hills. Instead, the LBA, they decided to stretch and to pay the salary of a full-time pastor. And during that time, the church was smaller, about 50 uh, weekly in attenders. But out of the faithful giving of those 50, the church was able to hire a full-time pastor. If you haven't put two and two together, that, that was me. So here I am. It costs to pastor a church. It costs to run a church, even, even in the size of 50 people. But out of that commitment, the church began to grow. And I just want to say to those who were here, um, I just want to say thank you and how much it's meant to myself and my family during that time. And I wanted, if we could just take a quick second, if you were here four years ago, maybe you remember the first Sunday 
I was here and in Ray's words, and I remember Faith saying it, that, you know, that I preached something like this, you know, with a little bit of <laughs> shakiness that way. Do you mind just for a second, if you were here in that service four years ago, would you stand up with us? Oh. Amen. Did you give them a hand? Oh. And this church has benefited, and you that didn't stand, you've benefited from their sacrifice financially to bring on a pastor, from their sacrifice to not say, man, this is kind of rough times. We should bail and go to another church. Now we're going to stay right here, and we're going to hunker down with what God is doing right here. You have benefited from their sacrifice. So now it's all of our turns. Every single one of us, it's our turn to stand up and do that. So that five years down the road, 10 years, 20, 30, 50, when somebody says, hey, will you stand? There'll be a small group that stands, and then there'll be a huge group that hasn't stood yet because they're benefiting from your sacrifice. I want you to be in that group that stands. That's what we're talking about this morning, and it's what it's going to take. So during this, this period of time, during this Building for Life campaign, um, quickly to finish off your, your outline, um, I want to tell you just four quick things you can expect, and you need to hear these things because it's going to happen. So before you raise your hands and say, but Tom, it's going to happen during this time. To you, to me, here's what it looks like. First of all, you can expect miracles. You can expect miracles. Some of you, you're going to get raises in your job. You're going to get promotions. You're, you're gonna, your marriage is going to get back on track. You know, you're going to say things are going as smooth as they've ever had. I'm healed in some area. You are going to stand in there. It's going to be miracles, and we're going to highlight anytime God does something. You can't launch into something where you put God 100% first to say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, time, energy, effort, finances, whatever, and not experience miracles. You're going to see them. I wish I had brought... Um, the hundred plus letters that my pastor and I received in our church when we were building a church in Phoenix, people who said things like this, I've grown more and seen more miracles in the last six weeks than in my entire life. That's what they would say. And I'm looking forward to those same letters being written here when we put God first. So bank on it, miracles. Second thing, you can expect to grow spiritually. If you're sitting and saying, look, I, I need to be fed, I need to grow, you can expect to grow spiritually if you want to plug in with what we're talking about and this level of commitment that Jesus is calling us to on this, on this 40 days. Remember, what we're talking about is assessing, saying, God, I have a need, and then saying, you know, God, this is what I have to give, and then giving it. From there, it's God's job to take over and do the rest. And we can expect to grow spiritually in that process. It's amazing when I talk to people sometime, they talk about this spiritual growth in their life, and they waited sometimes for God to multiply for years and years and years, but their testimony is still the same on how faithful God is and how they grew spiritually just trusting God. Hey, here's the third one, not as fun. You can be, expect to be hassled by Satan during this period. Just expect it. You're going to be hassled by Satan. If you're going to put God first and you're going to strive in that direction, Satan's going to do whatever he can at the forefront to derail you and get you off track. Now, as you're going and as Satan understands, I'm not, bunk, I'm not bucking this guy, then you're going to be pretty good. But Satan's going to look to attack. He's going to hassle you. He's going to come at you. Whenever we get serious about spiritual growth, when people get serious about the fellowship of the church, Satan doesn't want 
that to happen. And he certainly doesn't want you to be a part of it. He wants that to happen somewhere else so that you don't have any story in it. So expect it's going to happen. Do not let Satan rob you of that. Recognize it very quickly and very early on and let your faith dictate. Remember when Jesus was out being tempted for 40 days? That was direct satanic attack. Direct. And Jesus withstood and he held. And how did he hold? Not because he was God. It's found in the first verse of chapter 4 of Luke. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. You full of the Holy Spirit, following God. You cannot be derailed, just like Jesus. So this is your time where you can say, you know, Satan, take a hike, and that type of thing. I remember there was a lady, bless her heart, she's 93 now. Um, I, just, I just talked to the pastor, and he told me that. Um, but after we did our campaign, she walked out to her car. The very day we launched it, she lo- like, it would be like what we're proposing, April 12th. She walks out to her car that day, and she had a flat tire. And this is what she said. She said, God, so soon? Let's <laughs> oh. count on it. It's going to happen. And then finally, you can expect to experience joy. You can expect to experience joy. Some of you, get this, you're going to, for the first time, start tithing 10% of your income. Some of you, for the first time, you're going to put a lump sum down, and you're not even going to know how you're doing it, and you're going to give donation towards a building fund or something. And you're going to walk away and go, how do I have more joy now than I had before when all that was in my pocketbook? I don't know. It's hard to explain. But I just know the testimony of God's word is that it happens. For some of you now that you think, my schedule's so jam-packed, you're going to step up and you're going to start serving in a ministry somewhere. You're going to start sacrificing your own time. You're going to be down the hall with the kids or you're going to be out, you know, at Teen Challenge or whatever. And you're going to be doing something crazy in ministry that you've never done, and yet you're going to feel like your schedules allows and it's freed up more. And you're going to find more joy in that period than you were pulling it all to yourself. It's exhausting to hoard things to ourselves. You're going to expect joy during that period. That's what we're proposing. These type of things happen. And this is what we believe, that if we focus on spiritual maturity, if we, if we focus on the fellowship of, of us here, if we focus on, on learning more about God, then we just feel like God's going to take care of everything we need to provide the campus that we're talking about. Now, there's logistics. We'll share it at the business meeting. But it starts with us and our own faith. Now, I'm going to wrap it up because I know I've gone long. And this is what we're going to do. As I pray for you here, uh, when I come out of it, uh, I'm going to invite our ushers to come take our offering. As soon as they're done taking our offering, I'm going to give a little instruction. Actually, while they're taking, I'll give a little instruction. And then I'm going to ask parents for you like to immediately go get your kids and then come back here. All right? We won't have a closing song today so that our teachers and everybody can be down here with us. Does that make sense? Yeah? Somewhat? Maybe. Okay. Let me pray for you. Father... For this morning, Father, for what you want to do and where you want to take us, we're asking, Father, right now, in your name, that you would build us to maturity. Lord, we want to, like your word says, we want to see your face. And Lord, we want you to speak into our lives. And like my father-in-law often says on, on growing spiritually, we want to say yes to God more. And this is a great period of time in the history and the life of our church to say yes to you and to grow and move forward 
with what you would have for us. So Lord, speak to us and lead us in that direction. Be all over our business meeting in, in the few minutes, all the details and the great questions and everything that we could walk out all being on the same page, united on whichever way you want us to go and do. We pray it all in your son's name. Amen.